Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glicksman alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And Matt, neither of us won the bracket, but Pal didn't either, and that's really what matters. That's true. That's true. I guess he did. Uh, did he just need Gonzaga to win, or he needed Gonzaga and Oregon, I think? Yeah, I mean, he got close, but no cigar. Caitlin Burnell won. She deserves it. She's a champ. Uh, yep, but yep, the real yep. champ is UNC. Matt, you were yeah. at the game. What did you think? Uh, well, I, I thought in real time what I've heard a lot of people have said after that I thought the game was slogged down in the second half by officiating. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I got, they pass out the box scores um, at halftime, and I noticed, you know, there were only 17 calls called in the first half. Um, neither team ever got to the double bonus. And then in the second half, we got to 17 total fouls at the 12 minute mark. So a huge difference in the way the game was officiated. And, and, and the game hadn't changed that much. It wasn't like, you know, the game was so much more physical in the second half. Yeah. Overall, Mark Fuse's first trip to the Final Four, fairly successful. We'll see if Collins Very, is going to come mean, back for they, it. Uh, they were, you know, uh, a minute and a half away from winning the national championship, which, uh, you know, we, we shouldn't. Uh, uh, my feelings on Gonzaga are a little mixed, I think. You know, I think sometimes people look at them as, you know, little engine that could, and, and they're not. I mean, they're a, they're a big-time program, and they deserve the respect a big-time program should get. But at the same time, we should, we should take a minute to realize how amazing it is that this little program in Spokane, Washington, has become a big-time program. I mean, it's not easy to do. You know, you and I talk a lot about ASU, and, and so many times we've said, you know, well, we know we're not going to become – you know, a, a time every year power. And most schools probably say that. And Gonzaga has. And that's it's really remarkable. It's really impressive the job he's done. And, and the fact that he's had opportunities to leave, but he knew that he could do this. And, and it's amazing yeah. the confidence yeah. bearing itself out. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously they, they didn't quite finish the job. And who knows if they'll get back and have a chance again i mean they've, they've had good teams a bunch they've had teams that have threatened to you know to make the final four never did before this year but they get that out of the way um so that's beneficial to the program at large and you know they just they just keep getting good players i mean this is not a this is not a two or three year run with a cycle of players it's 19 straight years they've made the tournament and and that's uh, it's just unbelievable it really is so you know all the all the credit to North Carolina for winning. I don't you know I don't mean to praise the team that lost more than the team that won, but you do have to you know put in perspective what this program is, how amazing it is they've been able to become that. Yeah, I think overall the the entire uh, set of four teams in the Final Four, all with interesting stories. You know, South Carolina is as close to sure. a Cinderella as you're going to get out of a big conference these days. Sure, sure. And uh, Oregon. I said to you, and and I will echo it here, that I think of the Sweet 16 coaches, if I had, you know, generic roster X, not about recruiting, just about coaching, right. I, I'd probably pick Dana Altman to do it. And if, yeah. they, if Dylan yeah. Brooks decides that that second-round grade is, you know, soft and he can push sure. it higher, which I don't know if he can, but if he makes I that decision – that's gonna, you know, yeah. That's gonna be a really tough team again next year. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting draft decisions among these teams because you know you got you got Nigel Williams Goss at, at Gonzaga, you got Dylan Brooks. I mean, these these guys are big names in the college game, 
but they're not necessarily viewed as, as NBA lottery type prospects. And, you know, if they do come back, uh, you know, that, that certainly makes those teams, you know, really loaded again next year. I mean, they're probably going to be good either way, but, but if you manage to get your star player back for a senior season, that's not very common anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, heard an interesting take about Brooks in that he's getting graded out as a second rounder, but the question is what more can he do in college that would change that grade? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a frustrating thing. You know, looking at college basketball more from the the big picture, I I don't like that we've gotten. Matt, I understand that you don't like, you know, where this is going with guys who are on the bubble and will they and won't they, but this is kind of the boat that the NBA has put college basketball into. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, guys who, guys who stay three and four years now, they, they kind of get blacklisted. It's kind of like, well, you know, what, what's wrong with them that they stayed three and four years. And you hear a lot of people at the NBA level bemoan the fact that, that, you know, kids are coming and they're not able to contribute right away. Uh, but but that's their own making. Nobody is forcing NBA teams to draft 19-year-old freshmen who, who average five points a game but happen to be 6'11 and athletic. Nobody's forcing you to do that. They're, they're choosing to do that, and so that's, that's their own problem, really. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I get a little frustrated when I hear that because it's like, well, stop drafting them. You know, start drafting guys like Nigel Williams-Goss, Dylan Brooks, Justin Jackson, guys who – Maybe they're not going to be superstars. They're guys who can probably play for eight to ten years as, as you know, starters slash really good reserves and, and contribute to an NBA team right away, whereas a guy like Harry Giles is not going to. Well, I mean, you see that with the Bucks this year with Malcolm Brogdon, who really yeah. became the straw that stirs the drink offensively. I mean, when you have Giannis, it's yeah. tough to, you know, tough to make a claim sure. like that, but... When Brogdon's been hurt with this, you know, lingering back stiffness, those uh-huh. games the Bucks look much different and much more right. stagnant offensively unless Giannis yeah. does something on his own. Yeah, I mean, every year we, we see guys, there's two or three guys who are late first round or second round picks that are guys who were really good in college for two, three, four years, usually three or four. And they come in, and they're not superstars, you know. No, they're not. They're not going to win Rookie of the Year. They're not going to, you know, maybe ever make an All Star team. But they're guys who can play. They help you win. Um, and and sometimes kind of forget the importance of a guy like that. I mean, I think Justin Jackson's a great example. I could see him being a guy who gets picked in the twenties this year, but goes to a playoff team, and next year is contributing as the sixth or eighth man for a good playoff team. And we're going to say, man, why did he last so long? Well. Why did he last so long? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be an interesting situation uh, come draft time because obviously there are guys who at 18 and 19 years old are ready, and that's not to say that you know yeah. you can't do that. But but when you are doing a draft and develop pick, you know, especially with somebody like Giles who averaged three points right. a game and was battling through injuries, you know, you can't get mad at whatever happens. No. No, no. I mean, you know, and, and yeah, I agree. I mean, if you've got a chance to take a, you know, an Anthony Davis or a Carl Anthony Jones or, you know, so we've seen guys, you know, that, that yes, they're ready. They're ready probably out of high school. You do that because, boy, you think, man, this guy's this at 19. Wait till you see him when he's 23. But when you're 10 these guys who we'd see him in college and, 
they're, they're, you know, yeah, you could, you know, Bam Adebayo, we talked about him last time. He's another one. You know, you could see the talent, but the production really isn't quite there yet. And in the old days, he'd stay three or four years, and by the time he's a junior or senior, that production would be there. Well, those days are gone, and the NBA has a lot to, you know, they have to share blame in that. Like, you know, they're, they're the ones who are drafting these kids in the first round and, and letting sometimes flounder when they shouldn't. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, you're also missing out on, I know the NBA teams take the idea of, well, we can send them to the D-League or we'll develop them on the bench, yeah. but you're missing the opportunity of getting to play. I mean, Bam would play 35 right. minutes a game at Kentucky next year. Right. I mean, it. you know, it's something we've, we've talked about in relation to football, too. You, you like to see a guy who who gets reps in big games, big moments. Um, you know, I mean, the D-League is, is a good thing, and, and hopefully can continue to develop it and, and make it something where they can, can you know, kind of get rid of the stigma of the D-League and, and make it truly a developmental thing where a guy goes there and we don't, we don't kind of, you know, look at it with a side eye like, oh, boy, it goes in the D-League. Um, it's a good idea, but it's, it's not high-pressure basketball. You know, it's not playing for Kentucky or Duke, or North Carolina when, you're, when you've got, you know, 20,000 fans in the seats at every home game um, and, and, you know, you're on national TV and you're playing big games in March. <laughs> you know, to me, the experience pays off more than going to the D-League. Now, others would agree. Others would say, hey, get them in our system um, and we'll work with them for two or three years and then they'll be ready to contribute. Um, and, and there are examples. Corey Joseph is a really good example. He was in the D League for a good couple of years with the Spurs, and then he ended up a you know a solid guy off the bench for that championship team. So it does work. I just prefer a guy who you know does it in college. Maybe I'm old school. Yes. Well, you get to this interesting point where it's like, yeah, he's got all the talent in the world, but will he ever put it together? And you saw that maybe right. on some level with the Sixers, with the trust of the process, you know. You take Nerlens yes. Noel, and he's blown out his knee, and you know that right. he has a chance, but he really still hasn't developed an offensive game, and, no, and I'm not sure no. if and that's ever going to happen. No, no, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, and we, we do that a lot now with big guys. These guys come out at 19, and they, they've never really had to develop an offensive game in high school because they were just big. You threw the ball into them in the post, they laid it up and in. Um, they get one year of college where, you know, they don't get a lot of ching because of the time limits and all those things, and they're coming out. And, and you know, it's hard to learn an offensive game at the NBA level. Some guys do it. Kawhi Leonard's a great example uh, of a guy who took his game from non-offensive to very offensive, but it's really hard. That's not an easy thing to do, and most guys can't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be interesting. Now yeah, so... We'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, to, to get back to the championship game, impressive performance by Carolina. I mean, it was a little ugly game, but, you know, good for them. I mean, they got they got real close last year and, and had the disappointment. And so, you know, always, always uh, kind of rewarding, kind of like Clemson in the same vein. They, they get back and they get it done this year. Yeah, there's, there's the redemption factor. For sure, for sure, you know. So a veteran team, I mean, as we talk about these one-and-dones, you know, the, the four teams, Final Four, didn't really have any uh, traditional one-and-dones. Gonzaga, the, the Collins kid, may end up being one, but he wasn't thought of in that way when he was recruited. Um, and other than that, you know, it's it's a lot of juniors and seniors that were on these rosters. Could be coincidence. 
or could be something that starts a pattern. I don't know. You know, two years ago, Duke won with, with you know, three really good freshmen and Kentucky's undefeated with a bunch of freshmen. So might just be a blip, but, you know, an interesting trend this year at least. Now, here again would be a time, Matt, where a sponsor could come in. Yeah. I would say the words they want me to say because I am right. nothing if not a shill for corporate America. <laughs> but nobody's interested because we don't have listeners. So what I'm going to do is right. I'm going to implore the listeners who made it this far. We're like 10 minutes in. Yeah. If you've made yeah. it this far, ask somebody else to listen or at least, you know, download it. They don't actually exactly. have to, like, listen it. But, you know, or put it on, like, two times speed. You know, put it on double speed, play it while you're in the shower, you can leave your phone in the other room, like just something, anything to help us. I'm asking exactly. for help. I'm a man yeah. coming to the people, Matt, asking for help. <laughs> Understood. But we don't have that yet, so we're going to pivot right into Tony Romo's retirement. And for those of you who are paying close attention, we're talking about the NFL, and I'm not going to be the only one who mentions it. Matt, I know. Tony Romo retiring... Dak Prescott taking over as the undisputed heavyweight champion of the locker room for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Dak Prescott did the taking over, you know, last October in November. Um, took a while for everybody to catch on, but he did. And, and even though they ended up going, you know, one and done in the playoffs, he played very well and deserves this chance, and I'm glad he's getting it. Um, you're almost retiring and going into broadcasting does surprise me. Um, leads me to feel like the market was really not there for him that maybe we all thought would be there. You know, we, the, the you know fans and media have sort of connected the dots, Denver and Houston, but neither Denver or Houston ever connected those dots publicly. And, and, you know, behind the scenes, did they talk about it? Probably. But maybe they weren't as interested as we thought they would be. Well, and, and another thing to point out, if they were really interested and there was a possibility of a bidding war, wouldn't one of these teams have just traded for Roma? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it leads you to believe that neither team was in love with the thought of going after Tony Romo. Um, you know, and it makes more sense in some ways that Houston of because obviously they, you know, boy, are you going to go with Tom Savage? I know they like him. That seems unlike for a team that's a playoff team in the last couple of years. Maybe they will, and maybe they got a gem there we don't know about. You know, Denver didn't necessarily have terrible quarterback play last year. It wasn't great, um, but, you know, they went 9-7. and seven. Uh, You know, Simi missed a couple games with injury that they lost, so, you know, maybe they can get by with him. Um, and I just think maybe a hesitancy on both those teams' parts to, to buy into a guy who's been very injury-prone, especially the last two years. Um, you know, do you want to build around a guy who maybe can't withstand one hit? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to do it. And I think it's interesting that he immediately went to CBS as opposed to uh, Fox just because of the NFC. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that he immediately, without ever having called a game, becomes the number one color commentator. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Very, very. I mean, and, and I've heard people today, and then, you know, media people who I guess have talked to him certainly more than you know you or I have, or heard him talk more than you or I have. But I have never thought in seeing him necessarily that he was full of charisma and was going to be. I, I just never did. Um, a lot of people today have said, oh, he's going to be on TV. You know he's going to be great. We'll see. 
Um, uh, you know, his press conferences to me were always kind of bland. Uh, I mean, the Dan Patrick show has a running game of, you know, know your Romo and they just play generic Romo post game comments and you have to decide if it's old or about the recent game. Um, so is that guy really going to be that good on TV? I'm not sure, but you know, um, a lot of people are just happy to see somebody different besides Phil Sims and it's, this provides them something different. I mean, I'm more excited about whatever Rex Ryan's going to say on ESPN on Sunday morning. Right. Than I am right, about what right, Tony you know, Romo's going to say during the number one AFC game every week. Yeah, I mean he's exactly that's a good good comparison because he's a guy that as he was a coach, you know, you knew you even you know it wasn't hard to see. Man, this guy could be entertaining on TV. I never thought about Romo. Not to say I thought he was, you know, I just never gave it any thought. I mean, um, Romo you know, did hey, date Jessica Simpson, so he's got to he have some sort of charisma. Although sure, I, there might you know, just be I mean, an inherent charisma of being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Quarterback of the Cowboys, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, and guys do get hurt. I mean, I would, I would say both um, Troy Aikman and Steve Young, when they first started, and Young doesn't do games, but he does, you know, Steve Young is one, when he first started, he was not very good. And, and over the years, he got better. Um, but, you know, being the number one guy off the bat, it's kind of one of those that, you know, makes you a little surprised, but... Again, that's that's the beauty of having leverage. I'm sure he said, you know, hey, uh, if you want me, uh, I'm happy to do it, but you're going to have to pay me like a number one guy and have to give me a number one guy role. And obviously, they decided to make that move. Do you think that he is doing part of the Masters coverage this weekend? He says he is, apparently, which I think is just kind of ridiculous. Um, and I would bet you there's some people at Augusta National that are not happy about it. Because Augusta takes themselves very, very seriously. Um, there might not be a sports entity that takes itself more seriously than Augusta National. And having a football player show up to do broadcasting in his first ever broadcasting gig is probably not going to make some of those people very pleased. But Matt, he plays in celebrity programs, so obviously he does. He he's does. Qualified. Yeah, you know, and, and he's the, you know, he's been in. He had to qualify for the U.S. Open, and you know, he knows golf. I'm sure. Um, whether you can talk about golf on TV is a different story. Uh, you know, I, I know golf. I'm not sure I'd be qualified to talk about it at the Masters. Um, uh, you know, so I, how they use him will be interesting. Will it be a you know, five-minute spot in the tower with Jim Nance? I would hope something like that. I mean, I, I don't want to see him on 16 breaking down, you know, the read of the green. Like, you know, let's, let's get people who do this for a living to tell me about golf. Yeah, I mean... I assume what it'll be is the first time you see him and Nance together, and it's quick, Probably. and Tony put this in his negotiations so that he could go play Augusta yeah. on the press day on Monday. <laughs> probably, probably. And, you know, a little, you know, have him on when the leaders are on the front nine, and he can do a little, you know, well, let's go to, you know, Dustin Johnson on eight, and Tony, you know, what would you do with a shot like this? But, you know, when the tournament's coming down the stretch on Sunday, I really don't want to hear from Tony Romo. Next year's, you know, AFC Championship game, we'll hear from Tony Romo. That's great. You know, I don't want to hear from David Faraday during AFC Championship game. Stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be my, my opinion on it. I kind of like the idea of CBS just putting all of their guys into a jumbled up uh, draft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we'll have uh, Phil Raftery call, uh, you know, the uh, – the SEC game on CBS, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just mix it all up. Why not? Yeah. If Tony Romo could do golf. Well, there's no limitations. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be curious to see 
how far they go with him because, like I said, you know, I hope it's not like let's have him as a roving course reporter for the final group. Like, no, let's let's have guys who do this for a living and have done it for years. The Masters is not a place to learn how to call golf. You want to do that, you know, go to Golf Channel and work the Nationwide Tour, get better, and maybe you get the Masters in five years. I mean, CBS has shown with their deal with Turner that they wouldn't be afraid to rent guys out. No. You're right. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but as long as it's not Gus Johnson, least, as long as it's not Gus Johnson. Right, right. You know, I mean, uh, the the NBA involvement in the tournament kind of rubs me and some others I know the wrong way. At least it's the same sport. Um, you know, having a football talk golf. I don't know. Like I said, I'm sure there's some people at Augusta that are that are displeased putting in a call to the CBS bigwigs today and saying, uh, you, "You're not gonna let you know. We're not gonna have the NFL take over." Augusta National. Oh, no, sir. Yeah. I think I'm on to something with Romo just wants to play Augusta. You might be right. Yeah. I mean, hey, this is, you know, once like, and probably wants to attend. I mean, it's a good, you know, he goes up in the tower for five minutes and then he can go to the 18th green and, you know, watch the Masters. And there are worse things to do when you're retired. Yeah. I mean, golf is what retired people do. So. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good gig for him, I'm sure. And, you know, good for him. Uh, surprising. I didn't really, you know, I thought this was just a way to create some leverage to get off released. But obviously this is what he wants to do at this point in time. So, you know, for him and we'll see how he does. Yeah. Well, there's going to be plenty more NFL talk. Probably not a ton of golf talk, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not unless Tiger Woods is back. Until and, then, uh, I, uh, I'm a little limited, but... And what we'll do is we'll come back, we'll talk a little NFL draft preview, we'll talk a little ASU spring football wrap-up, maybe yes. we'll get into a little baseball, and of course, you've got the NBA playoffs and the pretend NHL playoffs, because they refuse to play in the Olympics, so I no longer view these as the best players in the world. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, now, granted, I don't know how to skate, period. Full right, stop. Right, don't yeah, know how to skate. Yeah. But all I right, but I stand right. by no, it. I don't either. I'm watching I've okay. been watching a lot of uh FS one in the mornings, so I feel like by yeah. making an angry stand that I have no oh, no real yeah. basis to back yeah. up, I'm right <laughs> I'm right in the wheelhouse. You're, you're ready to be on national TV. Yeah, yeah. What's amazing is this witty banter is not generating a lot of listeners. I don't understand it. I'm never going to get it. I know. Maybe we just need to start making ridiculous statements. You know, we'll just, like, we should just put in a segment where we, like, rip LeBron James. That apparently is a way to build a brand, be anti-on or something like that. Yeah, but that's going to be pretty easy. Either that or yeah. have ESPN make me super famous and then hate on ESPN. Right. Um, right, exactly. That doesn't hurt either. Yeah. Th- those yeah. are really the two, as a casual observer... <laughs> Of the podcast, yeah. sports podcast landscape, those are really the two ways. Uh-huh. Uh, to those make are good it. ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, I got to go to my brother's wedding this weekend. Matt's got to go do Matt story things. But we'll be yep. back next I week. Watch the Masters. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll talk yeah. about some stuff. It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Yes. You'll like it. I'll Sounds like it. Good. All right. Until next time. He's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt.